Hi there, I'm Dr. Paula McDonald, and I welcome you to my podcast, Live Today. It's here that together we'll explore the concept of balance as God designed it to be for us, His children. Balance of the mind, the body, and the spirit. And it's what I've named Theosynthesis. And it's here, waiting for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Live Today podcast. It really is so great being with you all and having the opportunity to visit with you each and every week. So many of you are reaching out and letting me know the topics we discuss are meaningful, and I so appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that with me, and it certainly is encouraging knowing people who are encouraged by my words And you guys encourage me by your words as well. So thank you so much for that. And today, we are diving into one of my all-time favorite topics, science and God. Back in the early 80s, as an undergraduate biology student, I was led to believe that these topics of God and science could not coexist. My professors informed us that, hey, there was no sense in discussing these two hot topics as science had completely disproven that these two belief systems could even exist together. We were told you had to believe in either science or God, but never both. Well, this has perplexed me on many levels, as science has always been about discovery, observation, and by testing. And additionally, Science has always used logical thinking and probability to add to its validity. Why then would the topic of God be met with such a quick dismissal and a refusal to even discuss the topic? So as I sat through lecture after lecture in those early days of college, the questions continued to swirl in my head. I could no longer remain quiet. And so, man, I, that arm of mine just started shooting up and I began asking questions. And the one question no professor has been ever able to even come close to answering has to do with sex. And so let me set this up with a typical scenario. So the professor would begin laying out the theory of the Darwinian evolution, that the world was void of life and a bubbling, oozing pool of slime was struck by lightning, causing the slime to begin to organize itself into a single-celled organism. Then, over time, gazillions of years that they have to add to this, this single-cell organism began to develop or evolve into a more detailed multicellular organism. And we know that single-celled organisms go through a very simple sexual reproduction called asexual reproduction, or a meaning without sex. So, for instance, they just simply pinch off or bud another organism, and so the species is perpetuated. And as we know, with sexual reproduction, It's much more complex, and it involves gametes, or sex cells, from two different 
organisms. If what Darwin's theory was saying was true, and that the species continues to evolve more and more, the question could be asked, why would an organism develop a very complicated method of reproduction? Wouldn't it have been easier for a species to simply continue to replicate itself? And we all know that sexual reproduction in humans is a highly complicated matter that also involves emotions. And of course, we talked about this last week that there's no scientific way to measure emotions, but yet we know they exist like love, fear, anger, hatred. All of those things are emotions. And we know that the big, complex sexual revolution in our country is all tied up in emotions. So it's a complicated issue. So this would seem to me to be the very last likely scenario for a highly evolved species. So my question then focused on, let's just look at one particular species of animals. And so the argument of Darwin's evolution says that all animals evolved from a single celled organism, just one. And as time went on, it became more highly organized and highly complex, right? So therefore, my question was simply this. If we have become more highly evolved, at what point on the evolutionary timeline did a particular species evolve from an asexual being to that of a sexual one? Now remember, there are millions of various species of animals out there. So for the sake of keeping this question really simplified, let's just take one species of animal. And so let's just take the blue jay, for instance. I love blue jays, so we're going to pick that. So if what Darwin says is being accepted by science, there should be a way to track this particular species, the blue jay, of going from an asexual animal or an asexual blue jay as it evolved over time to being a fully sexual animal. So now think about it. This would mean that at the exact time on the evolutionary timeline, both a fully formed male and a fully formed female blue jay would have had to evolve simultaneously on that timeline in order to perpetuate the species, right? I mean, that would have had to have happened. So let's put some math to it. What's the mathematical probability that a fully formed male and a fully formed female evolved at the exact time in history? And this would have had to have happened to the species at the exact time or it would have ceased to exist. So are you ready for this? The mathematical probability of this happening with just one species is about 10 to the 860th power. Now you guys, that 
is a lot of zeros. And this is only one species. We're just talking about the blue jay. So now, if you take this same logical argument and you put it to every single species of animal on this planet, really, you guys? My logic says this is an impossible probability. And for me, it takes more faith to believe in this Darwin's theory than it does to have faith in an intelligent designer, God. When I posed this question then, and even now, the scientific community either evades the question or they change the subject entirely. And mostly I would say that my professors grew very weary of my questions and avoided my questions. They wouldn't even let us discuss them. So as a former high school biology teacher, my goal in education was teaching my students how to think rather than what to think. In fact, the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills says regarding the subject of biology, this is what they say to all teachers regarding the nature of science, that science as defined by the National Academy of Sciences is the use of evidence to construct testable explanations and predictions of natural phenomena, as well as the knowledge generated through this process. This vast body of changing and increasing knowledge is described by physical, mathematical probability, and conceptual models. Students should know that some questions are outside the realm of science because they deal with phenomena that are not currently scientifically testable. Boom, bingo. So clearly, there will be phenomena, and there are lots of phenomena that are not scientifically tested, because guess what? We weren't there. We were not there. So therefore, we have to look for the evidence. And there are no evidences on the evolutionary timeline of fossil records that support a blue jay slowly developing into a male species and slowly developing into a female species. We just don't have it. So therefore, many things remain as theories. They are not laws because they can't be proven. So that's what a theory is. Therefore, the theory of evolution is just that. It's a thought process. So however, as most of you can attest, your high school biology teacher most likely only presented one theory of evolution, and that was Darwin's. They probably did not discuss any other theories, such as intelligent design. So for me, I have more faith in an intelligent designer when I look at the obvious intelligent design of, let's say, our DNA code, which is a specific code. It is a specific alphabet soup. There is no way I can ever accept that many believe something as highly specific as DNA simply 
arranged itself perfectly over millions of years. And the same logic could be used to ask the question, if you took your computer apart right now and you placed all of the parts in a trash can, would you expect that over millions of years, the computer would slowly begin to arrange itself back into a working and functioning system? You'd say, Paula, that's ridiculous. But yet this is what the world of science wants us to buy into that this beautiful code of DNA that is highly complex simply evolved without any intelligent designer. I can't, I can't buy into it, you guys. There's just no way. Therefore, in no way can I believe in something so complex as life itself from the DNA to the complexity of each and every cell in our body was simply randomly arranged. The only logic I can accept is that of an intelligent designer, which is God himself. I do believe that it takes a great deal more faith to be an atheist rather than a theist. So an atheist, A is without, and theist is with God, with, means God. So additionally, those, there's also those people who say they are agnostic, and this perplexes me to hear that word. Again, agnostic. A means without. Gnosticism refers to knowledge. So if you say I'm an agnostic, my question to you is going to be, an agnostic is basically saying they are without knowledge. So you're claiming that you're without knowledge? Really? And so the more I've studied science, the more evidence I discover regarding the amazing and complex living biology all around me, the more my faith and belief in God has been cemented. I believe the more science advances and continues to show us the amazing makeup of living things, the more science cannot deny an intelligent designer. Sadly, however, many would rather believe in the science fiction of a Big Bang Theory than to accept that there is an almighty creator. And so each of us must decide, what do we believe? What I will challenge you, like I did my students many years ago, is to do your own research with an open mind and an open heart. I believe that you will be led to the truth and that accepting that we ourselves, we are not God, so we can't figure it all out, and that he does exist, this takes faith. But additionally, believing in the opposite takes a great deal of faith as well. Which one are you going to put your faith in? How will you choose to believe? I pray that you will seek out the truth and Almighty God. He created you and I, and He created us to have logical, questioning minds. It's okay to seek and ask questions, but I pray that you will see the logic that I've presented here today and that it causes you to rethink what you might have been previously taught.
You guys, God gave us intelligent minds because he is the intelligent designer. He created us in his image. So question, ask, seek. And I believe the more you do seek to know the truth, the more he will continue to show you and reveal to you. I would really love to hear from each of you. You can always find me on my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. And if you'll just click on that tab that says connect with Paula, fill it out. Let me know who you are, where you're from. And um, I would love to get to know you. But you guys, God and science can coexist. May you expand your thinking and may you fully live today. Hi, stay tuned for my mini podcast, Ask Dr. Paula. It'll be in the last five minutes of the show and a time for me to answer your questions. So to submit a question, simply go to drpaulamcdonald.com and click on contact me. I can't wait to hear from you. I had an interesting question this week on the Ask Dr. Paula segment, and it has to do with crystals. A woman asked me what I thought about using crystals for healing. And I know I've certainly seen a rise of an interest in crystals for healing. And it's a great question, really is. And ever since I was a little girl, I have held a fascination for crystals and gemstones in general. I love rock collecting. And I would go collect them and I still do today. I'm just drawn to them. But I believe where the disconnect with crystals and healing and then being a believer in Christ happens is when people mistakenly begin to worship the thing or the crystal itself. Certainly, we know these stones contain a high vibrational frequency, which is why these stones are used in lasers and in computers and medical devices. The way these rocks were formed under intense heat of the earth and pressure provides them with these unique characteristics. However, as a believer, the important thing to remember is who created the crystal in the first place? Well, of course, it was God, the creator, who is responsible for everything on this earth. Therefore, There is nothing inherently wrong in collecting and appreciating the beautiful crystal rocks. The problem arises when the stones themselves are worshipped. And when people believe that, oh, this crystal is responsible for healing me. Sure, God can use a stone to promote healing, but it is his power, not the stone's power. He placed that power there. So as a believer, understand what it is you are placing your trust in and on. Anything other than God himself is misplaced trust. But don't assume that everyone who loves crystals worships them. Of course, there are many that do. And these are the people who are taking the things of God and using them out of context. So enjoy the beautiful things of the, of the earth and of the world. But just remember who the creator is, and there's nothing at all to be worried about. 
Thank you for your questions and keep them coming by visiting drpaulamcdonald.com. See you next time. Thank you for joining me, friends. My prayer for you is that you would seek to live today and every day in balance and in abundant connection with God.